his comfort to our heart today. And I pray that in all of this meeting, the Lord will be magnified. And certainly we welcome you today. And on behalf of the family, your presence here is so expressive of your respect and love and of your support for, for Karen and for Stephen, for Rachel, and for the little ones as well, and all the family members. And so thank you for coming. We're going to lift our hearts now to the Lord in prayer and just commit our time and please to him. Father, we bow our hearts and our minds and our wills before your sovereign purposes in life and in death. And Lord, today we rejoice that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in heaven. And Father, this hope that we have why it pours out a comfort that no human words can express. And so, Lord, we lift our hearts today in thanksgiving, in praise, and worship. We come, dear Father, in Christ Jesus' holy and precious name, because we have no other approach. We have no other access, but it's only as Jesus himself said, as he is the way the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And so, Lord, today we pray that your Spirit would come with great comfort to our dear sister Karen and to her children, to Stephen and Rachel, and the grandchildren and the family members. Lord, throughout your Spirit, and give that word in season that is able to dispel the fear and dispel the uncertainty and give that warmth and comfort that, well, Father, we know only can come by the Spirit. So hear our prayer today. Bless us. Bless our worship. And as we sing this opening hymn of praise, of testimony. It is well. It is well with my soul. Lord, we can say that from our heart because we know that Christ Jesus is alive today and he lives in the power of an endless life. And so, bless us now. We ask in the Savior's holy and precious name. Amen. Please take your program and we will stand together and sing this timeless hymn. It is well, it is well with my soul.
Thank God for that precious testimony, the joy of knowing. And, ah, friend, today, if you're here and you don't have that assurance and that peace that Christ is your Redeemer and your Savior, ah, then come and trust Him today. This is the testimony of our brother Danko. It's the testimony of our dear sister Karen. And it can be yours today as well. By faith, you can know him and you can love him. I want just to express our own deep condolences to our dear sister. We have known Karen for many, many years in the connection of Whitfield Christian Schools. Uh, Karen taught for us in grade two. Mrs. Weir, as she is known by all of our students and faculty in the school, and we have the highest respect for Karen. Many times uh, I would be leaving the church or school here, and I would notice that Karen's car was still over there, and uh, she was still diligently in her classroom and making preparations. And just this past Tuesday, I was having devotional time with our grade 12 students. And they will be leaving Whitfield this year. And I said to them, you know, we've had a very sad thing happen this past week. And um, I said, some of you will remember Mrs. Weir. And most of them put up their hands and said, she was our grade two teacher. And they remembered her. And that's so many, many years ago. What an investment that is. And so we have um, a long connection here. As I know many of you do, not necessarily from a school context, but uh, other work context. You know Danko. You know the family from a history. And we certainly appreciate very much your support, as I know the family does too, Stephen and Rachel. And so we thank you for coming. And as we begin and come into our service now, we're going to have a scripture reading and a eulogy. And Pat and Doug Moore, they have known and been friends of the family for many, many years. There is no connection between the Moore name. They just happen to have made very close friendships. And so uh, Pat is going to come, first of all, and read some scriptures in English and in Ukraine, Ukrainian. And then we're going to have the eulogy by, by Doug. So please, Pat, will you come now? John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nehaine trivojitsya serce vaše, virajte v Boha, i v mene virajte. 
v domu otcia moho ostal bohato. Kolib mi skazal by vám, idu na hotovete z miste vám. I jak prídu, tá na hotovľu vám miste, znovu prídu i príjmu vás do sebe. Štob de ja i vy boli. A kde ja idu, znajte, i drohu znajte. A kaže jemu Toma, hospode, ne znajemo kde ti daš. I jak mi možemo drohu znate? Reče jemu Isus, ja droha i pravda i žitja. Nikto ne može prehoditi do ica, jak tjelki mnoju. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Hi, I'm Doug Moore. There was some question about whether I was going to be able to make it here today, and my son Simon had generously uh, agreed to fill in, but you got the real deal. So, uh, my first recollection of meeting Dan was when we found ourselves in the same grade 10 homeroom class. Now, you may have picked up on the fact that I call him Dan, because that's how I met him. He was Dan, and everybody knew him first as Dan. So everybody in the high school knew him as Dan, and that is until one fateful day. I had been entrusted with the care of the class attendance clipboard, and this was an official record of our full legal names. I would carry it from class to class and give it to the teachers so that they could mark it. One day while scanning the list, I noticed something interesting. The final name on the list describes someone whom we all knew as Dan to be actually Danko. Now keep in perspective that we grew up in the 60s. This was the age when everyone wanted to fit in and not stand out in any way. It would be a generation or more before anyone other than Elvis or Twiggy wanted to be known by a unique first name. So as the trustee of the grade 10 attendance clipboard of Wexford Collegiate, I considered it my duty to inform. In the middle of class one day, without any warning, I called out aloud, hey, Danko. Of course, there was only one person in the room who knew who I was calling. And it was obvious who that was because his neck immediately evaporated into his shoulders. And his whole body slipped down in his seat to the point that all we could see was what appeared to be a head sitting on a desktop. Danko had been outed. Now everyone knew that Dan was really Danko. And I guess it sticks. It sticks till today. Let me be clear. As he cowered in his seat, Dan showed no emotion, no embarrassment, not amusement, simply no emotion. To this day, I, I don't know what he was thinking at the time, and that's because you could never tell what Dan was thinking unless he wanted you to know it, that what he was thinking. Dan took great pleasure in refraining from revealing his impressions on many a subject. There are, however, a few times that I recall him betraying that well-polished trait. 
and he did it with a little twinkle appearing in his eye that was usually accompanied by a very slight smirk on his lips. And now and then he would also break out into a full smile and sometimes add his signature giggle. Dan could take great pleasure in making people feel uncomfortable. I don't mean tortured or in pain. I simply mean slightly out of their comfort zone. Ordering pizza with Dan was a good example. He would always wait till everyone had selected their toppings. And like Inspector Colombo, right at the very end, Dan would say, and could you please add anchovies? And sometimes it was extra anchovies, please. Without fail, one or more of the diners would wrinkle their faces and protest. And Dan would sometimes end up agreeing to a compromise to have anchovies on only his portion of the pizza. I asked him one time, I said, what is it with anchovies? To which he replied, I can't stand the taste of anchovies. I just... I just like to watch the people squirm when they think about them. Dan was definitely a people watcher, quietly sitting back and observing. He so loved to try and figure out what made people tick. Growing up, Dan was his parents' world. They had survived the war and displacement from the Ukraine. His father told me of the day he saw Mrs. Zwier, then a young girl, in a war camp. He recognized her from their home village, and a romance blossomed. The Zwier family lived on Wexford Drive in Scarborough. We lived on Pharmacy, a few streets to the west. I had an early morning paperwork, and often, if I was walking by their house at 5 a.m., I, I would see the basement light on. If I peeked in the window, I would see Mr. Zwier on his knees in prayer. This made quite an impression on me as a teen to see a man that only talked the talk. He also walked the walk, or in this case, he prayed the, he prayed the prayer. Mr. Zwier spoke very good English, although he would mix up a few words. And one of this, those words was the word forgive. He always got that mixed up. He would never get it right. He would say to me, if you confess your sins to Jesus, he will always forget you. Don't worry, Jesus will always forget you. (laughs) Mr. Zwier would often tell Dan and I to finish school so that you can get a job where you work with your head and you don't have to work with your hands. Mr. and Mrs. Zwier were both hard workers. She, like many immigrants at the time, cleaned houses. Dan told me that some days he would go to work with her on the TTC and he got to sit on the front of the subway train, which had the best view. If anyone asked Dan what his father did for a living, he would proudly say, St. Michael's Hospital. Naturally, many hearing that made the misassumption that he was a doctor, and that didn't bother Dan in the least. (laughs) When they were at work, Mr. and Mrs. Weir were... When they were not at work, Mr. and Mrs. Weir were either at the Ukrainian Pentecostal Church on Bathurst Street or at home. She would be cooking and he would be working in their huge garden. If Dan and I returned from socializing on a Friday or Saturday night, yes, Dan did have his party days. This was the 60s, don't forget. Remember, and we would get home on the, if we got home on the earlier side of the night, we would often join his dad and watched an old movie on television. Mr. Zwier loved westerns or war movies. 
If we returned at more like the twilight hour, the house was dark. But that never stopped Mrs. Weir getting out of bed to make us a snack. Thing is, with her, there was no such thing as a snack. It was always a meal. There's nothing like freshly made pierogies at one o'clock in the morning. When Mr. Weir told me that he had been after Dan for months to let him buy Dan a car, I went into full acquisition mode. I would tell him what sort of son denies their hard-working parents the pleasure of buying him a car. Your father and mother take the bus everywhere. Give them a break. Of course, my encouragement had more to do with the fact that the only thing standing between me and a trip to Florida was a way to get there. And when Dan took delivery of his car, a brand new Ford Capri, it was the first vehicle for the family and Dan dutifully drove his parents around, especially to church on Sundays. Naturally, we immediately started planning our Florida trip. I had an aunt that for years had sent general developments in Port Charlotte $15 a month to buy a retirement home. She took possession a year before, and I got an urging to check out her purchase. Dan's mother had difficulty processing the fact that we would be away for about three weeks, which was too long for her to prepare meals for. When we rolled out of her driveway one cold December day, we were loaded down with several days' supply of cabbage rolls and pierogies, along with the biggest pickle jar that I've ever seen, containing a fully cooked chicken swimming in Mrs. Weir's home broth. We arrived in Tampa one morning at 2 a.m. and stopped on Highway 41 to get a picture of our first palm tree. Aunt Hattie loved having us, and we loved visiting her on our way to and from Miami and the Florida Keys. Now, I'm one of those people that, when planning a road trip, likes to have the car fully packed and gassed the night before and ready to roll out before sunrise. That way, by noon, you can have hundreds of miles behind you. When leaving Aunt Hattie's Florida home for Toronto, that was the plan. At least that was my plan. Get up early and on the road, and my aunt insisted when we got up on making us breakfast. I think it was pancakes. And I don't even know if Dan liked pancakes, but on that day, it didn't stop him from asking for more and more helpings. He wasn't hungry. He simply took pleasure in causing a delay. (laughs) And I can delay all I want right now, Dan, so... I was more than ready to go, and as he wiped his lips with a napkin, he looked at Aunt Hattie and said, how about a game of password? She loved playing board games, and as a spinster, she rarely got anyone to play with. Of course, this was very frustrating for me, but today as I look back, here was Dan thoughtfully thanking her for her weeks of hospitality by spending time with her doing what she loved to do. Dan was being a servant. So we got on the road much later than I expected that day, and I wanted to make up for lost time. Late that night, very late that night, we were two 18-year-olds driving north on the interstate through Georgia. I was at the wheel and couldn't understand why there was such a slow column of vehicles in the right lane. No problem. I slipped into the left lane, downshifted, and pressed on the gas. I had actually missed the reason 
why the cars were going so slow until I saw the flashing lights in the rearview mirror. There had been a state patrol officer in a car at the front of that line. Nobody dared pass him. So moments later, I had an officer's gun pointed at my head, and he was screaming, how dare you pass a member of the Georgia State Patrol? It took me five miles to catch up to you. He also told me how fast I was going, which I will not repeat because there are young people present. <laughs> he gave me two options. Spend the night in jail until after the judge had his breakfast and had a hearing, or pay $100 on the spot and be on my way. Now, even though $100 was more than two weeks' earnings in my part-time job, I seemed it was the better choice. But the officer and I were interrupted by one Dan Zweer, who wanted to know, excuse me, if he gets to stay in jail overnight, can I stay in a cell too? <laughs> now, please understand that this request had nothing to do with giving me safety or even camaraderie. Dan had a sense of wonder for new experiences. Well, I paid the money, and two of the three of us were happy. I was happy that we were back on the road. The officer was happy because he was $100 richer, but Dan was a little put out that he didn't get the experience of sleeping on a metal mattress. <laughs> Dan was always inquisitive, always up for a new experience, always lived life in a sense of wonder. The following year, I had a new car, which we took to Florida. We set out after work one Friday evening, and as I was driving through a snowstorm out of, outside of London, Ontario, we'd been driving very, very slow for an hour or so, and we started to speed up, and I said, turned over to Dan, and I said, hey, look, we're doing 70 miles an hour. And as soon as I said that, we hit a patch of black ice. I can still see the car lights approaching and not approaching as we spun around. Then I saw lights approaching, and then there were no cars approaching. A few times as we spun around on the highway, several times. Then we torpedoed deep into a snowbank, clipping a signpost along the way, and I was terrified as I gripped the wheel. And what was Dan doing as our lives were spinning in circles? All I could hear was a big, as he enjoyed the ride. Anything for a new experience. I guess the closest we came to harm was camping in Samuel de Champlain Park, north of Algonquin. And just picture me, the accomplished woodsman, and Dan just out for a new experience. I borrowed a small army pump tent from my scout troop, and after a long drive, we set up camp in the woods and made dinner on the camp stove. It was dark by now and we were cripplingly tired. We figured that we would clean up the leftover food in the morning, so we moved some of the food in the tent but left quite a bit of it out on the picnic table, then headed for our sleeping bags, dozing off without delay. The next thing I remember was waking up at 3 a.m. in a tent that was violently shaking side to side, not unlike in a rainy windstorm. I called out, and the words I used I won't repeat because there are young people present, but I called out and the shaking immediately stopped. 
But the strangest thing was, there was no rain. You thought that with the, the wind, there would be rain, but it wasn't wind. And as I looked up, I could see stars. Now, we shouldn't have been able to see stars as we were in a thick canvas tent. Turns out a bear had decided that the food on the table was for him and dessert must be in the tent. (laughs) Not more than six inches above my head, a paw with razor-sharp nails had shredded part of the tent into strips. So Dan and I were now both awake, whispering and trying to figure out where the keys were to the car and who would make the first dash for the car, what would happen if they had been attacked, and we, we tried to work this all out. And we didn't want to use a flashlight for fear of attracting the bear. After what seemed an eternity, we did get to the car and beelined straight to the ranger station, banging on his door and waking him up. After we explained what had happened, I think we left out the part that there was food all over the place. But anyway, after we explained what happened, the ranger simply said, the bears can be a bit nervy this time of year. Best be careful whereupon he firmly closed the lock and locked his door. The rest of the night was spent in the car, and at dawn we broke camp and got as far away as we could. Now, Dan was elated because he had a new experience to talk about. And for years afterwards, without warning, he would periodically giggle and say, oh, the bears are a bit nervy this year. (laughs) Or he would say, I wonder how nervy's doing. And that was the last time we went camping deep into the woods. For a couple of years during high school, I had a job at the Golden Mile Theater as the head usher. Yes, I saw the Wild Bunch over 75 times, and I could eloquently recite much of the dialogue. I can sing all the songs from Hello, Dolly and Butch Cassidy. One day, the theater manager came to me and said he was looking to hire another usher and asked, did I know anyone who would be interested? Dan had asked me if there were any openings, so I told Mr. Lopez that I had a good friend who I thought would be qualified. His response was, fine, then he can start Monday night. I asked if Dan shouldn't come in for an interview, and the manager replied, you said he was your good friend, and that's all the qualifications that he needs. If he's a friend of yours, he has the job. So when Dan worked his first shift that Monday night, he explained to Mr. Lopez his mother would never let him work on Sunday as this was the Lord's Day. Now, it's quite, that's quite unique for working in a theater because Sunday was one of the busiest days for people to come and see movies, Sunday evenings especially. Mr. Lopez immer- immediately turned to me and said, don't schedule him on Sundays. Dan didn't compromise on his convictions, and he lived his purpose. Later, we both had part-time jobs at the head office of Beaver Lumber, working in the credit department. This was our introduction to the workings of a credit department that would evolve into lifelong careers for both of us. One memory of working at Beaver Lumber was when it was announced that employees were no longer required to pay for coffee. It was free to everyone. Dan and I decided we wanted to get the full benefit of this gift. But we had to cut back when we found that we were drinking so much coffee during the day we were unable to sleep at night. (laughs) Dan would come to me and say, have another coffee, you know. (laughs) And 20 minutes later, I'd go to him and say, have another coffee, you know. Oh, do I owe anything? No, it's free, you know. But it kind of bit us. But uh, 
Dan always liked taking advantage of a good deal. After Dan got his car, his parents decided that I should be introduced to the Ukrainian Pentecostal Church. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be shuttled downtown on a Sunday morning, but I was convinced when Dan said, they have food. (laughs) I went to an event at their church, and even though I didn't understand one word that was said, I fully enjoyed all of the Ukrainian delicacies served after the service. So I returned often. It was at one of the church functions that Dan introduced me to Patsy Hanchar, who had the most beautiful pair of eyes that I have ever seen. And you were able to see those eyes a few minutes ago. I was smitten, and within a year, the owner of those eyes was my wife. And today, 48 years later, we have three children, two daughters-in-law, and six grandchildren, uh, three of which are sitting in the second row here. And I have Dan to thank for each and every one of them. Not long after Pat and I got married, Dan was at EPBC. It was something that had been on his heart for some time. He felt called to Bible college. There he met Karen, and I could tell this wasn't just puppy love. This was big dog stuff. And the real deal. Karen became the perfect wife for Dan, and the daughter Mr. and Mrs. Weir had prayed for. As their family grew and Stephen and Rachel came along, Dan dutifully and diligently worked to provide for his family. Over time, Stephen married Katie, and with the arrival of grandchildren, Dan became a doting Dito to Isla and Edward. Psalm 139 talks about how the length of our lives is predetermined even before we take our first breath. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It can seem discouraging to realize that from the moment we're born, we're approaching the grave. Now we can brood on this, or we can live like Dan, not dwelling on the, on the frailty and unpredictability of life, but living our days with a sense of wonder, sharing that wonder with others, as well as serving God and his people. I read somewhere of an old legend of an angel who came one evening to the edge of a river and asked the boatman to ferry him across. When they reached the opposite bank, the angel rewarded the boatman with a handful of what appeared to me wooden shavings. In disgust, the boatman threw them into the river, and the next morning he found a few of the shavings still lying on his boat, and examining them more closely, found they were shavings of pure gold. As I reminisce about Dan, I realize that life is filled with so many ordinary moments, moments when it might appear nothing significant is happening. Dan didn't treat the ordinary moments as worthless shavings to be thrown away. So many ordinary moments when seen through Dan's eyes, became extraordinary. Through the lens of his gentle spirit, his patience, and his sense of adventure, he found wonder in so many seemingly ordinary things because he saw them as God providing priceless treasures. And oh, he loved to share the wonders that he discovered. We learn from David and Goliath that a small stone with God's favor is more powerful than an atomic weapon. We can invest our energy into telling God in prayer what needs to happen, or we can simply report for duty. 
Dan was a servant who reported for duty. He was a servant to his parents, to Karen, his chosen life partner, and their children and grandchildren. Dan was a servant to his profession, working diligently for decades, serving his employer and his fellow team members. Dan was also a servant to his God and a servant to the Ukrainian church. He was a quiet servant that could have been easily mistaken as ordinary, but he was unquestionably extraordinary. That's why he affected our lives so profoundly and why I am grateful to God for the gift of his friendship. So when the day comes that I pass through the pearly gates, I will consider it my duty once more to inform. And out of the top of my lungs, I will say, Hey, Danko! Thank you, Pat, for reading the scripture today and uh, Doug for sharing with us some very amusing stories. Let's sing now to the Lord's praise the next hymn in our bulletin, please. Great is the faithfulness of our God. We'll stand, please, to sing.
seated. At this time, Reverend Wayne Moore, brother-in-law, is going to come and share with us a message from the Lord's Word. Brother Moore, please come. Thank you, Pastor. When Christians gather for worship, no matter where they are, no matter what the facility, it becomes sanctuary. And that's what we're doing today. My throat's going to ensure that I don't speak very long. Sanctuary gives us a place to find strength from God and from each other. Comfort, times of problems, and this is where we are. Oftentimes in our current day, it is simply a celebration of the person. And that's a wonderful thing to do. But Christians include our Heavenly Father as well to be reminded of the things that are the most important to help us to make sense of the things that are happening. Many current versions of Christianity today, at times, make me very hesitant to tell people that I'm a pastor. It's just too embarrassing. What we are doing here today is different. We want to remind ourselves of who God is. We know that Jesus taught with with parables. Those are just simply stories to get a point across. I'd like to focus on one parable, one story today. In Luke 15, Jesus told three stories, lost coin, lost sheep, and a lost son. I identify with this portion of scripture more than any other. Working in the federal and provincial prison systems as a chaplain, I enjoyed it so much because I was with others that could very much identify with it. They didn't need convincing that they really didn't know the Father. They didn't need convincing that they knew they were missing something and wanted something more. We're going to go through this story, and I want to remind you that this is 2,000 years ago in a completely different culture. It's a Jew talking to Jews about a Jew. And here's Jesus' story. There was a man who had two sons. The young one said to his father, give me my share. So he divided his property between him and his older brother. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth with wild living. After he had spent everything, he was in need. 
because his famine had gone through the whole country. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were feeding on, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have plenty to eat and I'm here starving to death? I will set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. We'll pick it up in a moment or two. Remember I said it was 2,000 years ago, a different culture. Let's reframe it. Let's look through the lens of someone from that time and culture. When the boy, the young man, said to his father, I want my share now. Well, you're supposed to wait till they're dead. So what kind of a statement was that to his father? I wish you were dead. The money's more important to me than you. That would be scandalous. More than that, to the, to the neighbors, because everybody knows everybody else's business. The, the son had shamed himself by making such a request. By the father giving him the money, the father shamed himself in the eyes of his community, his culture, his times, because no father would do that. The father would be outraged. So he goes off, he leaves home, leaves his responsibilities, the care of parents, etc., and blows the money that his father had worked so hard for so many years. But it came to the time he was in need. He thinks about, well, I'll go home and apologize in shame and asked to be made a servant. Now that's strange to our ears, not back then. Yes, you did get disowned. I remember in Tyndale doing some graduate work in some Greek classes, and there was Chinese students there from Hong Kong. And hearing the stories from them saying, yes, and, and they'd be talking among themselves, yes, when I told my parents I was not going through to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, that I was going into theology, they got yelled at for an hour and a half and disowned. How disowned? Notices put in several Hong Kong newspapers, a casket purchased and buried, or cremated, whatever they do. That much disowned. But this culture back here, the boy knew that he would be disowned. That would be the norm. I just want to be a servant because I, I don't want to starve. He'd recognized he'd sinned against heaven and against his parents, his culture. 
And he practiced that speech on the way home. And the reason I like this text so much, because I can identify with that person, but how wonderful. The old man didn't chase them. He could have sent emissaries. He could have pursued them and said, please come up. No, he didn't do that, because he knew it wouldn't work. You can't make somebody love you. Many a spouse beater have tried. Many arrogant or bombastic religious types, some of us ministers. I didn't look at you when I said that, Pastor. My head just happened to go over there. They've tried. But if God isn't dealing with our hearts, as the old farmer said, ain't nothing going to happen. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. I have compassion. Picture you're walking down the street by the, on the sidewalk next to the curb, and a little toddler springs out into the street and hurts their arm, and they're laying there, and a bus is coming. Splagnizomai means you have to do something. It's such an imperative, you're driven to do something. It's not just compassion. No, it's drivenness. His father sees him a long way off and does something, let's go back to the cultural setting, that no old man did in that culture. He ran. It's undignified. When I'm crossing the street with our fox red Labrador retriever, it's kind of funny when the old guy has to run with the dog, but you do what you have to do. It's not very dignified watching me run. But back in this culture, you didn't do it. And you did not run to accept a son that had disowned or has shamed the family. It says he had compassion. He threw his arms around him. And in our English translation, look it up. If you know any other uh, languages, look it up. In English, it says he kissed him. But in the original Greek, it says he kept kissing him. It's in the continuous tense. It wasn't an awkward, oh, uh, okay, you're home. And you're... No, it was over the top. It was abundant. He started his speech and said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy. And the father yells at his servant, quick, get a robe for my son. Because he wasn't in good shape living with um, the local hog population. What Jesus was saying in this parable, this story, is this young fellow had gone as low as anyone could go. He ashamed his his father, shamed himself, blew the money, and ended up whores of whores working for a Gentile. Well, let's go a notch lower in Jesus' story. And he was feeding pigs and living with pigs. Just imagine the reaction of the crowd, like Jesus had their attention. 
He wanted to eat pig food because it was better than what he had. He really had their attention, especially when the old man ran, kept hugging him and kissing him, calling to his servants saying, quick, get a robe. This is my son. Quick, get shoes for his feet. Put the ring on his finger, the family ring. Pushed aside where the, I'm not worthy of this, this, and this. Well, the father knew that, but he loved him. This is the kind of God that Dido taught Danko. I had the privilege of knowing Dito a little bit for a few years. What a gentle soul. I've met his mother, but I don't have recollections. What a gentle, wonderful soul. The God we see here is not full of angry bombast or financial manipulation or out-and-out criminal behavior that is getting exposed more and more and every rock needs to be overturned, exposed for what it is. This God is the God of comfort. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away, but I will not leave you orphanos as orphans, but I will send a comforter to you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not a person who desires to be represented by something false that we are seeing so so often today. We sang the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Philip Bliss was a lawyer in Chicago. They wanted to take a holiday, the family, to the continent So they booked passage on a ship. The family went ahead, and he was going to follow a short time later. The ship went down. His children drowned. When she got access to communication, she sent a message back to her husband saying, All is lost. I alone survived. He did take passage over to England, and one night the captain tapped on his door and said, Mr. Bliss, I thought you may want to know, but this is where the ship went down in this area. He went out onto the deck. What kind of grief, sorrow, and loss? And by the way, sorrow doesn't take long to say that word, or grief or loss, but oh, how inadequate those syllables are to describe the human experience at loss. I find this hurts a lot. What's Karen feeling? What's Rachel feeling? What's Stephen feeling? What are friends feeling that have known and loved for so long? So much more. On that deck, he paused for a while and then went to his cabin and wrote. Because he was a believer. He found sanctuary in faith. And he penned, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows 
like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you have a desire, I've working in prisons for a long time, I have different people, it's usually a staff member that will say, you know, I'm an atheist, or I'm an agnostic. And I would say, well, okay, but if there was a person like this, would you want to know him? Would you want to know him? And you would know the answer to that. To those whose hearts are heavy here today with loss, we commend you to him who embraces us, comforts us, who promised to not leave us as orphans. God bless you. And Danko, Slava Bohu. I preached for him once, and I did learn a little bit of Ukrainian at the church. But I believe that means praise the Lord. Where's Pat? Does that, did I say it right? Good. The Lord be with you. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing that word today. Let's praise God. Well, actually, first of all, we want to hear from Stephen. He's going to come and share with us a tribute of his dad. So, brother, please come now. Thank you, Uncle Wayne. And thank you to the church and the school for having us here today. There's something fitting about driving through the streets so close to the office where my dad drove every day to work to the place where my mother loved to come and teach for so many years. Thank you to the Moore family for all your help and support this week. B, I'm so glad you came. Thank you, Doug. I never heard the anchovy story before. I always thought he loved them. Maybe he was just pulling my mom along all these years. Thank you all for coming, especially the people that remember me and that I don't remember. There were so many people that I met yesterday from the Ukrainian church, and it was one of the few pleasures this week to talk and to have a 
piece of my father's life sort of fall into place. I see why he loved you. It's also been gratifying to hear from his colleagues at work. He spent 43 years there. It was a huge part of his life, but one that I didn't have a lot of insight into. One of his colleagues at work, Brian Webb, kindly shared, shock and sadness does not even come close to the way I feel right now. I am devastated to learn of Danko's passing. He has been a friend and a colleague for 30 years and will be dearly missed. Danko and I would often talk weekly, which would include a five-minute work conversation and another 15 minutes on life. I enjoyed our many conversations, including a team's video call on the Friday before his passing. I will always remember his wry sense of humor, professionalism, integrity, and most of all, just being a wonderful man. Unfortunately, there were some longtime family friends who couldn't be here today. Peter and Linda Taylor shared, we are saddened to hear the sudden passing of our dear friend Danko, such a gentle, kind, and loyal friend who could always make us laugh. We have many fond memories as our children grew up together. Family meals, long talks, prayer supper club at Eunice's, hikes and science fairs. Danko always knew the best cell phone plan and always had helpful business advice. What a wonderful friend. Our deepest sympathy to Karen, Rachel, Stephen and Katie and the dear children. We wish we were able to be with you as you walk through this very dark valley in the shadow of death. The Lord is our only refuge and comfort in our prayer is that he will sustain you. I consider myself to be the luckiest person I've ever met. I was born to two of the most fun, thoughtful people on the planet. And I grew up in a smart, silly home with the sweetest little sister. My father loved being a dad, especially for the bad jokes. He may have loved being a granddad even more. He was so proud when two-year-old Isla invented her first joke. What do you call a pile of cakes? A cake cake. Dad was the most gentle soul. He had his father's love of nature and animals, and he was always quiet unless he was laughing. I never heard my father yell or even raise his voice. Not once. When he got angry, you only knew because his enunciation became stern, never loud. And it was so rare, I don't think it happened more than three times in my entire life. He was patient to a fault. Thanks for putting together the beautiful slideshow, son. As Rachel and I went through the family photos this week, it was hard to find pictures of him because he was always the one behind the camera. But what was most telling was what he captured. Family, of course. There were so many beautiful photos of Island Edward that I hadn't even seen. 
but the rest were pictures of the sky, of animals, flowers, or food. He was saving individual moments, but cumulatively, they sketched what he loved. As I sat to write this, I was struck by the truth of the old cliché and wished I'd said it all to him while he was here. So, Mom, you better stay for this part. While Dad had a childlike gentleness and wonder, you chased me around the living room and kitchen with a vivacious exuberance that I see in Isla today. Neither of you lost your playfulness, and your example created incredibly high expectations for my own partner. It was hard to find someone who could measure up, but I went, when I met Katie, I knew right away that she was the one. She was thoughtful and sweet, silly but sensible and always clever. She reminded me of home. Dad was affectionate, but selective. We all got lots of hugs, but only Mum got the kisses. Until last week. I'd brought the kids for the day, and of course, as always, he found a way to work from home. We had a wonderful but unremarkable visit, and as I looked up from Isla, getting her ready to go, and saw Dad smiling down on his grandson in Mom's arms. He was quietly and sweetly ending kiss after kiss under his head. And then we said goodbye. I never saw Dad cry. The one time we nearly caught him was after his father died. We were driving home to be with him, and I'll never forget the look on his face when he opened the door. Mom, everyone loves you. But they see a sweet, humble lady I see the strongest, most impressive person I've ever met. I don't know how you managed to hold it together this week. But your calm strength led us all. And it doesn't feel like Dad is really gone yet. But in the coming days, there will be a time when it's just too quiet without him and it hits. And when that happens, remember him by doing what he loved. Take your camera and go for a walk. As he said to Rachel just a few weeks ago, I look up for rainbows, sunsets, clouds, and woodpeckers, down for flowers, deer, 
and skunks. I appreciate the very touching tribute that Stephen has been able to bring today, and certainly his emotion is so expressive of the feelings of, of many heart. And Stephen, we keep you in prayer, and your dear mother, yeah, and Rachel, and all the family. We're going to sing a closing hymn now before the benediction. Let's stand, please, how great thou art.
please be seated. Very happy that Reverend Paul Sadler, the minister of Grace Baptist Church, and Karen's and Danko's pastor is going to come, please, and lead us in our closing benediction. And then following that, the funeral director is going to come and just give some final uh, announcements and directions. And then after that, we would ask that uh, once the pallbearers come and the coffin is removed, please ask everyone to remain seated uh, for just a final announcement. Let's call on God for strength for ourselves and for Karen, for Stephen, Rachel, and the family. Heavenly Father, we, we look to you. We look to you as our hope, our strength, and our God. Thank you for the time that you gave us with Danko. Thank you for the memories that we treasured with him. And thank you most of all for giving him the gift of eternal life. It's your grace that gives us hope and grief. So help us to cling to it and to rely on it. Your word reveals you as the God of all comfort. So minister your comfort in all its fullness now. Open our hearts to look to you and open our eyes to see you at work. We call on Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Minister your peace and may it give our hearts the rest that we need. Be our calm in the storm. Be our light in the darkness. We look to the Holy Spirit. Show us how to move forward. Meet us when we feel alone. Take away the fears that keep us from trusting in your goodness. Father, thank you for the conviction. We believe that Because of Jesus Christ, there's life beyond the grave. There's hope for all who believe. And the real celebration will be in your presence. Give us the grace to fix our eyes there. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our services here in our church. In just a few moments, I'll be inviting the pallbearers to please come forward, and we'll be exiting um, just at the back here. 
we'd ask that the friends and guests please remain in your pews, although you're welcome to rise as the casket exits, just so the immediate family and the pallbearers can have a moment before we exit. There'll be a private burial to follow later this afternoon. On behalf of the family, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for being here today. Know that your presence is so meaningful to them, and they invite you for a reception in the lower level. Thank you. So, pallbearers, please come forward now. Oh, thank you.
before you make your way down the stairs. The best way is that once you do that, the family will be standing just at the back. And if you go to your right, uh, pardon me, your left, my right, and go down those stairs, you'll go into the lower auditorium. If you go this way, well, we have a big scissor lift that's there, and we just want you to be careful if you do. There are stairs that go down that side of the building as well. So we'll ask you all, please, to stand and have the family. If you would make your way to the back now, that would be good. Thank you. 